Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Gallibur. A nice little run for the Knicks after some games they should have won, games they won and should have lost. You don't know what you're getting with this team, but at the end of the day, this is a nice little stretch of games for the Knicks when people thought things were going to fall apart for them. They had the loss to the Raptors, the loss to Wizards, loss to the Hawks. Lost to the Raptors again, but then they beat Cleveland. Then they beat the Celtics. Then they lose to the Nets, and then they lose to the Lakers, and then they beat the Heat in an exciting game. Then they play the Clippers in a game that I kind of thought that they could catch the Clippers sleeping. The Clippers have been playing well recently, but the Clippers are kind of sleepy. They go through games kind of sleepy sometimes, but they were were beating, beating the Knicks for most of the game, and the Knicks came back. I missed the game live, and I'm looking on Twitter after the game, and it's like, it was like it was the end of the world. It was another embarrassing effort by the Knicks type of deal. And then I go, look at the game. The Knicks are losing this whole game, and they came back in the fourth quarter? 10-12-0 run to get back in the game and actually have a lead on the final possession and, and, and get the game tied on a heartbreaking three? This was a good game for the Knicks. Obviously, listen, if you're following the league and not just the Knicks, then you know that team games are going to have ebbs and flows. You want your team to be in it and have a chance to win. You want your team to, to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. And we talked about this before. I don't know if the Knicks have teams that they're supposed to beat. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case for a team like the Knicks. But if we're going to be objective about it, if they have a better record than the team, they should beat them. They don't have a better record than the Clippers. And even if they did, the Clippers are a better team. They're a better team. Comparable records, who cares? They're a better team. The Clippers' record is a reflection of them resting Kawhi Leonard every other game the way they have been all year long. They're a better team. They're championship contenders. But I thought the Knicks could catch them sleeping. The Knicks have been playing. you got to like the way the Knicks were playing recently. Playing hard. Playing with force. And yes, you got your games like the game against the Nets where they fell asleep. You got games where they don't execute well. You're going to have all of that, but... The Knicks are in these games. They're in these games every single night. That's why CP the franchise is calling them the cardiac Knicks. They lose leads, but even if you have a lead, they're coming back. They're coming back, and you can't just look at the the bad and ignore the good. At the end of the day, we talk about it all year long. The Knicks are a 500 team. (laughs) And right now, they're above 500. About to go into All-Star break. They might go into All-Star break under 500. It might it might happen. Prepare thyself. But this is not a championship contending team. And you're looking at a team like the Clippers. For various reasons, the Clippers are only a game ahead of the Knicks. A game or two at this point. I can't think it's two games at this point. But you you know what they are. You know what their pedigree is. So, why are you shading the Knicks, who right now are 
at least at least in the Clipper game, they had RJ Barrett. But the 76er game, they didn't have RJ. RJ got sick. So they're down two starters. In the Clippers game, they're down one starter. Mitchell Robinson, what is he, chopped liver? As much as we talk up Jericho Sims, sometimes he's unplayable. That's the value of Hardenstein right now. Mitchell Robinson is a is a high-end defensive center in this league and a high-end rebounding center in this league and a high-end offensive rebounding center in this league. And the Knicks are playing without him. And you're getting your... They lose to the Clippers in a game where they fight back and, and, and Brunson, Jalen Brunson comes out making play after play, carrying the Knicks to a lead. And they lose the game with a desperation three. It had to be a heartbreaker. But how do you come out of that game tearing your team down? What are you guys doing? Enjoy the ride. You know this roster is in a state of flux. This roster might not even look the same after the trade deadline. You know what they're trying to do. You know they're trying to build up. You know what this season is. We've said it from from jump. The season is evaluation, be competitive, set a foundation for the team, expectations for what this team is supposed to look like, build an identity, develop the young guys. You're seeing all of these things check out. You want to see improvement even from the coaching staff. You want the front office to make smart moves. Because you know you're not winning the championship. You came into the season knowing that you weren't going to win a championship. You just want the team to not underperform. And they haven't. Even if they've lost games that they should have won, they are also winning games that they should have lost. Namely the 76er game. This is They don't match up with the 76ers. Even with Mitchell healthy, they don't match up with the 76ers. There's no matchup for Embiid. There's no matchup for Harden. The Knicks are too handsy and too physical for Harden. Because he's going to get to the line. Maxi's always a problem. And beating the paint is too strong, typically, for the Knicks in their paint scoring as a paint scoring team. They don't match up well with the 76ers, but down 20 points in the first quarter and came back and won this game. If you're a fan, be a fan. That was an exciting game against the Clippers. They almost pulled out. Sure, you can nitpick about this play or that play. Sure, you can. That play at the end of regulation, what were the Knicks supposed to do there? I've seen people giving RJ a hard time for not getting a rebound. I, if I had to blame someone for not getting a rebound, it would have been Quentin Grimes who just turned around after contesting Paul George and just stared at it. But I don't know if he would have got it either. And, and what was Hardenstein supposed to be? He saw the play as soon as he saw it. He got out there as soon as he could. Don't want to foul the shooter. He, had, he tried to steady himself before he went up. Batum made a great play. That's why Batum is, is in the league. He's a smart player, a smart defensive player, a smart offensive player. He's ballsy. He's not scared. That's one of the things that you like in theory about Fournier. Because those guys who play for their countries, they're not afraid of nothing. They're not afraid of nothing. Not afraid of the crowd. They don't get intimidated. You you gotta like players like that, especially in New York, where it's so easy to 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 kind of you know get shaky. We've seen that. Listen, we've seen that. I'm not gonna call anybody out. We've seen that time and time again. One of the major reasons why the Knicks don't play well at home. One of the major reasons why I'm always kind of hesitant to trade R.J. Barrett, even though 
every pretty much every RJ Barrett criticism I'm likely to agree with. Not every. Eight out of ten. But I've also seen RJ get better at things, and I also know that RJ's not afraid. And fear manifests itself in different ways. You you can have guys who are very aggressive, even though they're afraid, but they just don't make the right play, and they're too much in their head. At the end of the games, you've seen that a lot. That's why I was afraid of Brunson when he had a little stretch of bad plays at the end of the games. I was afraid that he was going to lose his mojo because he definitely came in to this team as not being afraid. And that's what you need to have in New York. You got you to gotta be fearless. You can't be a guy who, you know, is a wallflower. You can't be a guy afraid in the moment. And you can't be a guy who wants to be the guy in the moment. So you're thinking too, you're too much in your head at the end of the games. Because we have that too. Batum is that guy. And it was, that's, it was a heartbreaker. It's a heartbreaker. And yeah, overtime didn't work out well for the Knicks. But hey, when you're getting beat the whole game, <laughs> what are the chances you're going to pull it out in overtime? That's why you go for the win. If you know you're outmatched, and the Knicks were, that's why you go for the win. They lost that game, a heartbreaker. And then you got you got fire tips tweets. What are you talking about? How do you how do you in good faith take all of the good things the Knicks are doing and don't credit Tibbs? And then when something bad happens, like a loss, or they look listless. To start a game, you want to fire the coach. How in the first quarter of the 76er game do you want to fire the coach after the Knicks fought back in that Clipper game and almost won it? How do you want to fire the coach? I understand that you might have your issues with the coach. I have them too. But that talk about recency bias. Talk about convenience. You basing that decision on, on you, the straw that broke the camel's back as the Knicks came back in the fourth quarter? Of the Clipper game, I think they were still down like six or eight with two minutes to go. Or three minutes at least. I think three minutes. They come back in that game and, and they lose it in overtime. And here you are talking about fire the coach because they're down by 20 in the first quarter. Against one of the hottest teams in the league. Get real. And then they, they come back and they beat that Sixer team. They, they knock them around to beat them. Without two of their starters. And you guys want to fire the coach because they were losing in the first quarter? How ridiculous is that? I can criticize Tibbs with the best of them, but you can't take away the bad. I mean, take away the good and, and only focus on the bad. You can't do that. That's not fair. You can't assume that all the good things this team is doing has nothing to do with Tibbs and all the bad things has everything to do with Tibbs. You can't do that. You take Tibbs away, then you're taking away some of the good that Tibbs has brought this team that got them where they are right now, which is higher and better than they, they would have been coming into the season if you would, if you were going to be honest with yourself. There weren't too many conscientious fans out there who thought the Knicks were going to be where they are in the standings above 500. There weren't too many. And they beat teams in their conference. They beat the Sixers. They beat the Heat. Short players. And I don't want to hear any arguments. Well, they're actually better without... Shut up. Their starting center was gone. R.J. Barrett was missing in the 76er game. Be honest. Be fair. And they'll probably lose to the Magic tonight.
<laughs> the Magic are a tough little team. They got a losing record, but I think I talked about this early in the year. If you listened to one of the earlier episodes and the Knicks were playing the Magic, I said, I said this, the Magic were a tough little team. They were losing games, but you shouldn't assume any victories against that team. Now, it didn't really make sense, I guess, at the time when they were still losing games, but it's the same team playing right now. They turned it around. They're 6-4 and four in the last 10. They got some nice victories under their belt. And they're playing at home. And the Knicks didn't exactly spank them when they played them before. This is a... Eh. Cole Anthony's playing. You know he always got smoke for the Knicks. The Knicks had no answer for, for Apollo Bancaro. And no answers for him. So, hey. Hey. Mo Bamba's been suspended. Mo Bamba's not necessarily a Nick killer but you know he wants to be a nick so you never know what you're going to get there he adds a dimension being a shooter uh caleb houston i mentioned him in one of the games the knicks played them early in the year how i thought caleb houston was about to get nuts against the knicks he had a little run of scores where it looked like he was going to be one of those nick killers the guys that come out of nowhere and score 20 points and win games didn't pan out but this kid is looking like a pro already. And remember how I compared Cam Reddish to, to Matherin in the preseason. And I, I, I couched it a little bit because I said maybe not the fairest comparison. There's some variables in there. Carlisle being a different kind of offensive coach and all of that kind of stuff. But the fact that Matherin out of the box, out of the box with the seal on him, looked like a better pro than Cam Reddish should have told you everything you need to know about Cam Reddish and put it in perspective. No matter how much talent he has, the fact that he can't function in an NBA offense unless it's focused on all the things he does well is a bad look for him. It doesn't mean that he can't be good in the future. He likely will be if you know the Knicks luck at all. But guys guys like Caleb Houston, and he's not the best example, but he's the example that's right in front of us. Matherin, guys who know how to be pros right out of the box. They know how to find a role and excelling it to some degree, to varying degrees between those two examples, out of the box, is that is a an indictment on Cam Reddish. Why can't you do that consistently? Why is, why is Caleb Houston a better fit for 90% of the teams in the league three, four months into his career than you are? Why does Matherin have the ceiling that he has? I understand he was a high lottery pick, so was Cam, but Cam's been in the league a couple years. But Matherin, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily rebound well. Doesn't create offense for people very well. But he knows how to create offensive opportunities for himself, and he just got into the league. I don't care if he has a different skill set, it doesn't matter. You, you, Cam is supposed to be this all-talented guy. Why can't you find a way to use your talents within a system? And listen, I understand. Tib's system is not a great system. But the ball does find you, and you couldn't even, you can't even do what Quentin Grimes is doing. And Quentin Grimes was a four year, I believe, four year college player who got drafted late in the first round and only had a little bit of time on the court last year. You're not, they can't even count on you to do what Quentin Grimes is doing. And you've been in the league all these years. And you want, and, and Nick fans are wondering why they want to trade him. And I understand the front office doesn't want to trade him as Tibbs and want to trade him, but that's why. 
The team has to be able to count on you for something. You can't just be a wild card. Bones Highland is another example, probably not a perfect example, but because he's shown that he can put the ball in the basket in this league consistently and hasn't had long stretches of time sitting on the bench out of rotations. But the fact that he's a wild card on both ends of the floor, it's not helpful to a team that's actually trying to be competitive. And then you can get into a debate about whether or not the Knicks should be in a trying to be competitive situation. But if you have other players on your roster, you have to answer to who, and I say answer to, I mean, you have to look them in the eye and say, you're not playing, even though you're doing what the team needs you to do. You're not playing because this guy might have a 30 point game one day. Even though every other game he's dribbling off his foot or getting his shot blocked, his jump shot blocked, of all things, missing rotations, not getting over screens, etc. Even though his play is actively sabotaging the team, we're going to wait for that 30-point game he's going to give us this week. Can't. Everybody doesn't have the stomach for that. And that's why he's on the block. So I'm afraid of the Caleb Houstons. I'm afraid of Cole Anthony wanting to give it to his father's old team. I'm afraid of Paolo being unguardable. Doesn't even need screens. Just being unguardable, 1v1. I I don't like the game for the Knicks at all. But again, we're, we're moving into that place where the Knicks have games that they should win. You don't want to lose. You don't want to lose the Orlando Magic when you have one of the tougher schedules in the league. Going forward, you don't want to beat the 76ers, but then can't beat the Nets and can't beat the Magic. Against the Nets, Julius Randle said something that was it was really sad to hear from a, from a Nick fan perspective that they weren't ready to play at the, end, at the beginning of the game. That was true in the first Net game. They didn't have the energy to match what the Nets were coming with them with, coming at them with. They had to come into this game, and they did it against the 76ers, and you could say they did it against the Clippers. They have to come into this game with the fourth quarter mentality. And listen, you see a lot of talk when it comes to the minutes police. There is a little bit of truth to the fact that Randall, at the very least, is pacing himself throughout the game. There's truth to it. If you're watching, he is pacing himself. If you watch that Clipper game, there was um, when Grimes hit the go-ahead basket with about a minute or so to go. I think it was like a minute to go. He hit the go-ahead three in the corner, and the Clippers called timeout. The Knicks were pumped up, excited, jumping around. Randall is is half limping to the bench, <laughs> just tired. And Randall, say what you want about Randall, and, and listen, whatever your criticisms are, I probably see it too. He's playing hard for the majority of the game. He's playing hard, and he's expending a lot of energy, and he's playing a lot of minutes. And you could definitely definitely get into the minutes police thing, and Obi, he should get more minutes, and all of that. You could definitely get into that. The truth is, though, that is a factor, I think, in the beginning of the game where I believe he is pacing himself. I think he starts the game off pacing himself. Even though he's known for putting a lot of points on the first quarter, a lot of times those points are jump shots. I'm hot, I'm hot from, from the three, and I'm going to take these jumpers. It's not usually drives to the basket, physically fighting the front line to get a layup. You see that late in the game. So some of that pacing yourself, that energy, it's contagious from a guy like Randall. 
is contagious from a guy like RJ, who doesn't always have that fire and desire and that that grit and energy to start the game or at any point in the game sometimes. Didn't play well against the Clippers. So you, you got two guys in the lineup, one guy who will give you blood, sweat, and tears for most of the game, but is pacing himself, and another guy who's kind of like in la-la land sometimes for large portions of the game. Can't have it. So anyway, you got to be nervous about this Orlando game coming up. Great win against the 76ers. Great wins in this little stretch of games where the Knicks are supposed to get blasted by a few of these teams, but then sprinkled in a couple of these losses they probably didn't need to have. Namely, that Nets game. And Kyrie got loose. We talked about some trade deadline stuff. I haven't seen many new trades come up other than this Beasley and Vanderbilt trade. I don't love for Obi Toppin and some draft compensation. By the way, shout out to Fournier who came out in this game and was a difference maker. He came out in this game and once again made plays that other Knicks are either afraid or incapable of making, which adds a little dimension to the team. People talk about Thibodeau's archaic offense, and I always push back on it a little bit. It's only archaic in that he doesn't have an offense. (laughs) But that's not necessarily an old school thing. I think that's where you guys get mixed up. He's given the team a lot of freedom. They just have to be the ones to make those reads and they're, and they don't. And you see, you saw Quentin Grimes actually call for a screen and have a nice pull up mid range jump shot, which is a big part of his game that you're not seeing. He did that on his own. He didn't need anyone to tell him to do that. You've seen him do uh, some of the actions that Randall used to do with Fournier with the dribble handoffs on the wing. Nobody's calling that most of the time. Those are reads. You've seen Fournier, and we talked about Fournier. Actually, no, I don't think I talked about Fournier making plays to the big man, pinning down small guards in front of the rim. That pass that I've been calling for all year long, and nobody else makes, but Fournier tries to do it. You saw Fournier attack a closeout and not be straight line about it the way IQ is sometimes. And he weaved his way into the middle of the lane and created an opportunity for Quentin Grimes in the opposite corner. And I heart read it and sealed off and screened off the help, help defender, something you don't see the Knicks do very often. These are offensive actions you see other teams do and you don't see from the Knicks. We always talk about the Knicks doing high screening role in the past, never really finding the opposite corner. As a matter of fact, The Knicks were roundly criticized for their end-of-the-game isolation offense that would take too long, take too long on the clock, and and really end up in bad shots. It was a huge story because it was a couple of nationally televised games that it happened on. It's a lot of conversation about it. Jalen Brunson got sick the day the All-Star Reserves were announced. I'm not making a correlation. I'm just segueing into that conversation that we're going to get into in a minute. But since he came back, You've seen two things. You've seen a little bit more pace, not throughout the entire game, but you've seen a little bit more pace where Brunson attacks early. So if you're going to be, if you're going to have the ball in your hands that much, attack early in the shot clock and see if you get your shot or create a shot for someone else. And so you've seen two things because Brunson gets into the paint and he's all almost always in a position where he can get the shot he wants. 
So he doesn't collapse the defense like a lot of penetrators or good penetrators in the league. Collapse the defense and find open guys on a perimeter. It doesn't happen with Brunson that much because when he collapses the defense, he still has the shot that he wants. So if you're going to end up shooting that ball more often than not, then you need to attack quickly. You can't hold the ball forever and then attack and then end up in a shot. That's bad mojo for the team. It becomes a very make-or-miss offense. And I say it's a make-or-miss league. Let me explain. When you create rhythm for your team, everyone touches the ball. Everyone gets a chance to read the defense, make a play, attack, closeouts, penetrate, kick. Everybody does that. The offense is clicking. Everybody's a better player. When one player has the ball in his hands all the time and it ends up in a shot, that's bad mojo, bad rhythm. for If you do it possession after possession, bad rhythm for everybody. So it's the miss is a heavier, has a heavier effect on your team than when everyone touches the ball and everyone's moving around and it ends up in a miss. You can live with that. It's hard to live with. I've been standing here for five straight possessions and watching you shoot. And you're missing. It's hard to live with that. So, but when Brunson, if he attacks early and he gets his shot, that's easier to stomach. Especially when you you connect it with what else he started to do, which was, okay, I don't like this shot. I'm going to keep my dribble and I'm going to actively look for these kickout plays And the Knicks have now added a dimension where they use the big to screen off the help defender. The weak side help defender gets screened off a little bit more often. You saw it at the end of regulation of the the Clipper game or right around the end of uh, regulation. You saw it a few times throughout the 76er game. Penetration, keeping your dribble, and then actively looking for cutters and open teammates. You saw it at the end, one of the one of the closing closing uh, run plays in the Clipper game where Brunson found RJ in the middle of the lane for a floater. He got into the middle of the lane, didn't get the shot he wanted, actively started looking for his teammates. His teammates moved to open spots. That's that's the next level for the Knicks offense outside of actually having an offensive coordinator who draws a place. The next level is Brunson getting into the paint and not seeing the shot he wants, but see he's surrounded by the other team and actively looking for his teammates to get them a shot. Something he hasn't always done. It's a legit criticism. Not that he's played poorly. It's just when he penetrates, he scores. And I'm going to be careful because it's too much. There are too many ungrateful Nick fans out there who just want to. It's okay that you can criticize Brunson fairly, but stop jumping off the cliff with it. There's too many of you jumping off the cliff. Oh, they should have just. They shouldn't broke Brunson. They should have just started IQ three years ago. What, what are you talking about? You can criticize. You can say he could be better at this, better at that. The Knicks would be better if they did it this way or that way. That's fine. Just don't, just don't act like you don't have an all star on your team that got shafted out of the all star team. Just don't act like that. Because that is literally what happened. And I don't want to hear there's a lot of guys talking about Jimmy Butler. He bar- You can't make the All-Star game if you take vacation every other game all year. You can't. 
Of course your stats are going to be good when you're taking games off. You're talking about a guy like Julius Randle who played every single game. He's the only all-star to have played every single game. You can't compare the stats to somebody who's played every game to somebody who's taking games off. You're going to be more rested. Do you not get that? The stats are in the same category. They're in the same realm. And then one guy gets to rest and play the next game where the other guy doesn't. What are you talking about? And Randall is a secure all-star. I don't care what no one says. There's no argument for Randall not being on that team. There's only three players in the league doing what he's doing. He's averaging 11 rebounds right now. 25-11 and almost five assists recently. But he's averaging, I think, four assists on the season. What are you talking about? There's nobody in the league is doing that. What are you talking about? 46% from the field, 36% from three. I think it might be down to 35 now. What are we talking about here? It's only a handful of guys in the league doing that. Giannis, Joker, and B, that's, a, that's the category he's in. You're not taking him off the team. Especially for a guy who's, who's taking games off like Jimmy Butler. Jimmy, and no shade to Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy Butler's an outstanding player. I take Jimmy Butler on my team. I don't care what he doesn't do well. But you, when you choose to take games off, you're choosing to not play the All-Star game. When you take that many games off to rest. Let me do your favor. You can rest this All-Star game too. You don't need to play. Go ahead and rest. How are you going to give spots to somebody who's resting and then talk about his stats? What are you talking about? How good would Julius Randle be if he got to take off every other game? Be serious. And Brunson only missed, what, four games, five games? You see the stats Brunson has? The only problem I have with Brunson not being on the team, Harden got shafted too. Harden missed a lot of games. He missed a lot of games. I think Harden is right on that line of what I call, there are guys who miss games with bulk injuries. Like, they miss a bulk of games because of injury. Harden is one of those guys. And he's also been rested a time or two. So he walks that line. Because guys who missed a lot of games with injuries, I'll give you a little bit of bail. I'll give you a little bit of bail. Okay? As long as you reach a certain threshold. But you can't miss 20% of the season. And Harden is kind of in that mix. But his team is one of the better teams in the league. Miami is not. They're right there next to the Knicks. Okay? You can look at the 76ers and say that they need two All-Stars on that team with a season that, season that Harden is, is having on top of the fact that he had a bulk game injury and only had a few of those rest days in there mixed in there. Like I said, he's on the line. I think he's a little under the line. But based on the fact that his team is so good, and I don't, I don't love Harden, by the way, but I'm just trying to be fair, that he should probably be on that team, especially before Butler. The person that needs to not be on this team is DeMar DeRozan. You don't get to be on a sucky team and make the all-star team. And I don't care. Chicago started playing better. I get it. But they were still losing the majority of the season. Don't give me this. They played better for two weeks, so he's an all-star now. Get the hell out of here. Jalen Brunson, his clutch stats are right there with the Rosens. He's on a better team. He's shooting a great percentage from three and two, not just two. Like DeRozan. 
But it comes down to your team being a winning team. You don't get to make all-star games when you're on a losing team. And people say, well, the Knicks shouldn't get two all-stars. They're not that good. They're that, the players are that good. You don't get to... Hard, like I said, Harden should be there first. But you don't get to have DeMar DeRozan on this team and then make the argument that Knicks are not good enough to have two all-stars. Because there's a team that's not good enough to have one. Period. And here's my issue. Halliburton has had an all-star season. I don't dispute it. I like Halliburton a ton. I love him as a player. But the idea that, and Halliburton missed a ton of games, the idea that Halliburton is a mainstay on everyone's all-star list and Jalen Brunson isn't, is a joke. You can't have a situation where Halliburton is solidified as an all-star and Jalen Brunson's a bubble guy. Those two things don't go together. His his season is not better than Halliburton's season. And when they matched up, Brunson has outplayed them both times. There's a little bit of Wally Zerbiak pity voting going on with Halliburton. There's no reason that Brunson should be sitting at home watching while everybody's confident that Halliburton should be on that team. No reason. No reason. And as much as I think Harden probably deserves a nod if for any injury replacements, etc., I think I'd be happy to see Brunson get that spot. Just because Halliburton's up there sitting pretty without a worry in the world. That doesn't sit right with me. Not at all. Brunson had an all-star season and it should be recognized. So I'll be rooting for Brunson to get to that get to that all get that all-star nod, even though I acknowledge that Harden should probably probably be there. And don't you dare say Trey Young to me. Don't even fix your mouth to say don't say nothing, nothing about Trey Young to me. You don't get to shoot that poorly and be that bad for the majority of the season and make the all-star team. I don't care how many points you, you, you're scoring. And yes, he's a great passer, great assist numbers. I get it. He's essentially Dylan Brooks from the field, just taking more shots. Do you understand that? They're shooting the same percentages. You get that? Just because he's averaging 29 points per game. Bradley Beal averaged about the same thing, and he missed the playoffs because his team was bad. Atlanta has turned things around, in fairness. They've turned things around recently, but they started their turnaround right around the time the votes were probably coming in. So they're a better team than they were. But for 80%, 90% of the season, they were trash, and he was trash too. So you don't get to be on the all-star team. Period. I don't want to hear it. Let's do a little trade talk. Like I said, that Beasley-Vanderbilt trade for Obi Toppin and draft considerations, I don't love it. I don't love the idea of trading Obi Toppin because you're not trading him at his at the value that I think Obi Toppin would be playing at if he were playing more and played differently. I think you saw a little glimpse of what Obi could be. He's not a 30-point-a-game scorer like you saw at the end of the season last year, but he could, he's a guy that can do a lot more when teams don't have to scheme for him, which teams would not be doing if he played more and got more opportunities. He'd, he'd get a lot more drives, uh, closeout attacks at the basket, a lot more transition, a lot more 
mismatched post-ups. He's the only guy that gets mismatched post-ups deep into the paint. The centers don't get it. He gets it. Uh, he gets hot from three. I think, and I said this before, I think the Knicks should try to play him a little bit of small forward to get him some more minutes. I get why they don't want him to play backup power forward. The backup power forward has to do a lot of rebounding, has to do a lot of grunt work that, that Obi's just not doing. And the Knicks need, too often, the Knicks need more offense on the floor. They need more offensive creation because their offensive sets are trash. So they need more offensive creation. And Obi is not necessarily doing that consistently, no matter how many times, how many minutes you give him. He's just not, he's not a guy who's thinking along those lines right now. So they have to put Randall back in the game. Probably, almost certainly not as often as Tibbs does, but I see why he goes back to him. It doesn't mean that Obi has to come out, especially when RJ isn't playing great. And I get Miles McBride, you want to play, who's playing very well recently. I get you want Grimes back on the floor, but Grimes fouls a lot. So you might want to get any play super hard. So maybe give him an extra couple minutes. And IQ plays a ton of minutes too. Sometimes you got to ride the wave. I'm not saying to go into the game with a certain game plan and stick to it no matter what, because I think that's ridiculous. I'm saying depending on the matchups, you can steal minutes most nights with Obi Toppin for Obi Toppin. And he should. And the fact that he doesn't, and now Obi Toppin's on the market, you're not necessarily getting back value that you probably would if Tibbs used him differently, and that's like the same old story, right? Vanderbilt, many of you don't realize Vanderbilt has a good amount of value around the league as somebody who's a versatile defender, a special defender. He's not a great shooter, which troubles me a little bit, which makes me hesitate. If he was a better shooter, I would have little to no hesitation because he is that good defensively and he's he's seen as that kind of prospect around the league Beasley I don't love if Beasley was a better defender I would love it Beasley I don't love he's a scorer yes but the way the Knicks play if he's not going to play great defense then I just don't see him being a difference maker and I really wouldn't want the Knicks to make that deal I just wouldn't if they can get Vanderbilt in here without giving up Obi, I think they should do that. Of course, that just makes Obi <laughs> even more expendable. I get it all. Uh, you got to give to get in this league, and maybe you trade Obi and and you don't bring Beasley back. I don't I don't know how to how to express it. I get the value in Vanderbilt. I just don't like what they're trading away in Obi. If if part of that value that you're giving up is also pick considerations to draft considerations to on top of OB to get back Beasley, who I think his value with the Knicks would, is actually a little bit lower than what they're paying for, because I just don't think they're going to be utilizing him in that way. I don't think he fits seamlessly into what the Knicks do or in the Knicks rotation because he's not great defensively. The guy, the prototype, I think, and I thought this years ago, but I thought the money was too big. The prototype is Norman Powell, and you guys got a glimpse into Norman Powell this weekend. Norman Powell, Norman Powell, up, oh, he struggled, I think, early in the season, and he could be a, a wallflower a little bit on offense. I'm a big Norman Powell fan. I think he's a very physical defender. 
I think guys, I'd love to hear from guys who scout him and, and pay a little bit more attention to him game in, game out. I'm really going back on what I've saw, what I've seen from from him, not so much this season, but in the past. A physical defender, a physical player, a guy who has solid scoring pedigree, but can also play off the ball, can also fit into your offense. He knows when to attack. He knows when to read. He knows how to be a pro, and he's physical, and he's a playoff type type guy, and I don't think he's afraid. I think he's a guy who embraces the moment. He's saying a nasty dunk on Julius Randle, by the way. We ain't going to talk about that. You know about that? A nasty business. Nasty business on Julius Randle. I've always been a Norman Powell guy. He was a free agent the same summer Fournier was, and I wanted the Knicks to sign Powell that summer. But there was a lot of talk about how he was overpriced and he was undersized and blah, 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 blah. And then the Knicks ended up signing Fournier, and we all know how that turned out. The Knicks were better off getting Powell. But you know what? Powell's been floating around the league, too. People haven't always been enamored with his role on the teams that he's been on, Portland being the original team and then him being uh, moved to the Clippers and the Clippers haven't necessarily had all the success in the world with him. But I don't see why the Clippers would ever move him, not to know, not to say that he's actually on the block. I've only seen one rumor that might have included him. But Powell's the guy that I would move heaven and earth to get if I'm the Knicks. And I say that, you know, relatively speaking, because I think he fits into the Knicks perfectly. I think he's a guy that you can sit Quentin Grimes for. He's a guy that can take some of Quickly's minutes if need be. He's a guy that can take some of RJ's minutes if need be. I don't know if Beasley's that guy. I think Beasley's kind of like a, a sometimes dude in terms of scoring and, and defense. Obviously, Hardenstein has taken himself off the market. We talked all year long about Hardenstein, and Knicks don't use him well, and we talked all about it. I think the last show I mentioned it as well. There was a show. There's a mystery show. There's a there's a secret show that wasn't published. So forgive me if I'm referencing things that were in that show and don't realize it. But Hardenstein has played himself into into the Knicks fans' hearts. His fire, his desire, his physical play, his fighting for offensive rebounds. He's he's embraced the effort that is needed and has become a spark for this team, even though the team's not utilizing everything he can do, they're getting a little bit more out of him than they were before. So right now, unless it's a trade for a guy like a Norman Powell, there is no reason to move Hardenstein for anything other than something that really makes you better at another spot. And I guess that's, Maybe a water is wet statement, but sometimes there are lateral moves that have benefits for other reasons. And in this case, moving Hartenstein opens up the door for Jericho to play more minutes. But so the talent acquisition might not have been head over shoulders better for your team, but it opened up a spot for Jericho Sims. I wouldn't do that right now. I just think it was be it would be bad mojo for the team. And with Hartenstein playing the way he is, he's he's a valued backup center right now based on what he's doing. Very valued. He was somewhat valued by the Clippers because the Clippers knew who he was and what he could do. But his play on the court was just kind of, eh, sometimes he. But what he's doing now, it's invaluable. And if he's going to play like that, then I would not just move him for, you know, a rental or, you know, maybe this guy will be good type of, th- type of deal. 
it would have to be for something that really made me really made the team better. And knowing the Clippers are looking for a backup center, Norman Powell would be that guy. I just don't think Clippers would do it. I would no longer do those deals that I was proposing earlier in the year. You know, things change. When players play better, things change. There was a point where Cam Reddish was, wasn't was worth trading for two second-round draft picks, but now he is. Things change. But you know what? Your luck might change a little bit if you check out sportsethos.com. Check out their daily fantasy. They're wagering. They're doing good work over there. Making a lot of money for a lot of people. Check it out. Sportsethos.com. Follow at Sportsethos on Twitter. Follow at Ethos Knicks. A lot of content, a lot of conversations, a lot of back and forth with some crazy Nick fans. Make sure you come and check it out. Until next time.